Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, I feature Alana Clark, a Trinidadian American artist whose practice is built upon a foundation of uncertainty, curiosity, a will to heal, and an insistence upon freedom. Fluently moving through photography, sculptural and text-based works, video and performance, her research-based practice incorporates socio-political and art historical texts to contend with ideas of blackness, the binding nature of bodily signification, and of the possibility to create non-totalizing, identifying structures. She received her BFA in photography from New Jersey City University and an MFA in interdisciplinary practice from Micah's Mount Royal School of Art. She is also an assistant professor at Wayne State University in Detroit. Alana has been in several residency programs and she has received several grants. Her work has been screened and performed in New York and France and Germany and was featured in the Bauhaus Centennial Edition, Bauhaus Now, Is Modernity and Attitude. She recently completed a 2021 Next Haven Fellowship, a mentorship program co-founded by artist Titus Kapar. Alana is represented by Gallery Thomas Zander and Cologne in Kavi Gupta Gallery in Chicago. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast and enjoy this episode featuring Alana Clark. Alana, I am delighted to feature you on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Without delay, let's dive in. When did you discover your artistic passion? Yeah, so it was, I'd say, really late in life. Um, It wasn't until I was a senior in high school trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, which I, I, you know, had some vague ideas maybe I'll be a doctor. Um, And so I actually went to a vocational high school to (laughs) pursue that. And then I realized that I'm really terrible at math and science, chemistry, physics, all of it. (laughs) So um, I really had to figure out a, a different path. And so I, you know, knew that I guess I had, I, I go to college right after high school, that, that, is the next thing that I should do. But I was, you know, the first person in my family to even go to college. So no one, including myself, had any idea kind of what that really meant or how to <laughs> even uh, apply or pay for it. Um, 
but I collected a, a ton of just catalogs from schools. And as I was looking through them, I just found myself continually interested in like the arts program and I, but I couldn't draw, I couldn't paint, but I, I saw that like several schools had photography. And so I, I kind of thought to myself, okay, well, I, I know what a camera is. I, I think that this could be something that could be of interest to me. And so I really feel it was just kind of this serendipitous and by accident choice that I made. And so I, I started undergrad at a community college that's part of the like CUNY system, Queensboro College, and signed up for like darkroom photography classes. And I, I was completely out of my element. I had never even used a, a 35 millimeter film camera that wasn't a disposable camera. So it was actually a really like jarring and terrifying process. And I kind of instantly questioned why I was doing this, but it was kind of going through the process of like developing that role of film and then working in the dark room and coming out of the dark room. And it, it was really kind of an interesting metaphor for like a birth or a rebirth where I was, you know, coming out of this dark space with this dripping wet print and for the very first time I made something and that feeling was so absolutely incredible. And I, I think that I've just been chasing that feeling ever since that moment, all of those many years ago. And I, I think it was from that experience and the realization that I could be an author of something and kind of under, sub, I think subconsciously at first, understanding that there was some power in that. I think that's where the the like discovery of this passion for art came from. It's wonderful that you followed your passion and, and that you found it. Yeah. Yeah. So define your practice. Let's talk about every aspect and also share what component you enjoy the most. So, you know, I, I have a really interdisciplinary practice where you know I incorporate language, video, photography, sculpture. But I think for me, I actually really consider myself a performance artist. And that's the umbrella in which I kind of understand and link everything that I do. Even when you know I'm 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 working in a medium or with materials that, you know, ultimately end up being like objects, the way in which those objects get made is extremely performative. And I'm also often thinking about materials that have lived experiences or that have really kind of specific purposes in the world and, and really consuming all of that history and re-articulating it in the studio to kind of add a new element or a frame of reference for these materials. But I, I think I ultimately consider myself a performance artist or a conceptual performance artist. And the way in which I approach 
all of the various ways that I make is through this lens of performance. Is there an artist with a similar practice that you studied or that influenced you? Yeah. So now that I am an educator, I really look back at my arts education and really look back at it very critically. And, you know, there were definitely educators who I think had a passion for teaching that I also kind of admire and kind of tap into. But, you know, thinking about the artists that, you know, influenced me as as I was like a young artist myself in undergrad or the thinking about the the people that I was introduced to. So, you know, I I didn't really right come from an artistic family or like this idea of museums or galleries were things that were so extremely foreign to me. And so the only kind of entrance or, or knowledge base that I looked to were the my educators. And so taking like art history classes um, or even studio classes, so many of the people that I was introduced to were, you know, not to invalidate their work, but right, they were dead white men who were making things that I could not see myself reflected in, but I was constantly being asked to see myself in that work. So, you know, like Picasso or like Dolly or, and so I think initially I, I when I was a, a young artist, kind of just still studying, you're like, oh yes, these are the people that I'm looking up to. And, but I, it, that felt so empty and it felt like such a struggle and it felt very forced. And so I had to take it upon myself um, and kind of take the initiative to teach myself and educate myself and, and, and really seek out the artists and the work that I actually truly felt something from. And I did have, I, I think, one part in undergrad particular educator, Deborah Jack, who's a photographer. I really looked to her um, and admired her as an artist, but also as an educator. And she was the one that really introduced me to so many of the people that I finally could see, that that showed me that I could actually be an artist and I could actually make work. And my stories and my history and legacy were of equal importance. And so like Latoya Ruby Frazier was definitely one of them because I, I, came to art through photography. So it was definitely a lot of photographers at Gordon Parks that very early on influenced me. Um, and I had a, another uh, educator in undergrad, Jules, Jules Allen, who was a photographer. And so I really, I think in a way kind of imitated some of the work that my uh, educators made, but then I, I kind of, you know, found my own path. And so really thinking about artists who were working in these conceptual and interdisciplinary ways, like Jenny C. Jones and Adrian Piper was really a huge, huge influence. Um, and Chikaya Booker, uh, Marin Hassinger, Singan Ngudi artist who were really very much thinking about the body and the ways in which their work came to be took many forms. And so that was quite influential for me to see. What inspired you to create sculptures? 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't even know that I, I, there was kind of necessarily any particular inspiration, but I, I think that this drive to think three dimensionally actually came from the way in which I was making video work because I was really thinking about the screen as an object, not just as a kind of vessel to transmit moving images, but really thinking about the screen, um, whether that be a monitor or um, as a projection, as an object as well. So I I think that was definitely a, a really great way to connect kind of four-dimensional work with three-dimensional work, where I was thinking about how the way in which an image is placed in a room, how that can affect how a viewer will interpret it, and also thinking about how a viewer moves around an object. So it was, I think, through video that I initially started to think about uh, space and kind of sculpture in my work but also uh, through performance. So like live performances is when I make live performance work, I am very often thinking about breaking down this artificial barrier between the like active agent performer and the inactive agent, the audience. Like I often really blur those lines and the performance is often integrated into the space in which the audience is. And so I think through those two modes of working, it's then seemed like a very natural transition into more static sculptural work. And can you share with listeners the materials that you use? Yeah. So lately for like object-based works, the two materials that I've focused on for the past few years, so the first being cocoa butter, And then very recently, this material called hair bonding glue, which is a a rubber latex material that you use to glue extensions into your head um, and cocoa butter being, you know, material that's used. It's kind of an all purpose (laughs) (laughs) material to, you know, moisturize the skin, use it in your hair. Um, It's, uh, of course, the, the material that, is used to, you know, in in chocolate, right? So you can eat it. But both materials being ones in which I have a really personal and intimate relationship with and materials that were just in my household and materials that have to do with the body and caring for and presenting the body to the world. What is what does your studio look like? So I I moved actually into a new studio uh, in September which kind of corresponded with my move to Detroit to take a a teaching job. And so I moved into this studio and it's actually the most luxurious studio I have ever had. So I have very high ceilings, a ton of space, which then means I can really spread out and kind of have just different sections for where the different aspects of my work can be brought to fruition. So there's, you know, a section that kind of has to stay clean, which is where like my photography is or, you know, books are. 
Um, and then there is the, the kind of section that I can get extremely messy in, which I do get very, very messy and luckily have a wonderful studio assistant, Kara, who um, is a, a graduate student at Ray, Wayne State. So she helps keep, <laughs> keep me uh, organized and on top of things because it, it gets very crazy and very messy uh, in, in here. <laughs> I can imagine with the materials, yeah, especially. Yeah, yeah. Do you listen to music while you're working? Oh, yes, yes, yes. All the time. And that's actually, I think, because also I'm recently in the past two years on Instagram. I I, <laughs> I got just sucked into it. Um, but I actually use it as a space to archive and catalog and document all of the performative aspects of my work. And so again, you know, thinking about these objects that I'm making as performance and them being inextricably linked to the actions that are performed upon the materials. And so I also then I'm really thinking about the energy in my space and music being a really important aspect of channeling my energy and also processing um, my experiences. And yeah, I listen to, it's kind of a, a very large uh, web of genres where, you know, maybe I'm listening to like jazz, like Lee Morgan or Don Cherry um, or Alice Coltrane, and then 90s R&B, so like Mary J. Blige or like Destiny's Child <laughs> and then like metal or punk <laughs> like Slipknot <laughs> um, so it, it's a wide range of influences and inspirations um, but music yes being absolutely a, a very important part of my process and just kind of grounding me in in my studio space. How do you keep learning? Well I read a lot but also, you know, I teach and I think to be an effective educator, I have to keep learning by being open to the world. And it's actually through my intent. I mean, and I guess my students may have varied opinions on the intensity of my questioning <laughs> <laughs> and deconstructing constantly of their practices, but it's through <laughs> that process of, you know, me constantly interrogating the work of other people that I bring that to my work and, you know, for, for better or worse, because it can be very, you know, feels so kind of unsettled constantly if I'm never satisfied in a way um, with what I'm doing. But the upside of that is that I'm just constantly asking more of myself and of my practice. And to kind of deepen my understanding of my work, I also read a lot. And it could be things that are, you know, directly related to art making, but it could be just fiction and also a kind of a lot of memoir-ish or esque work like Maggie Nelson, Argonauts, and um, like Ocean Vong. So it's kind of like pseudo biographical, but very poetic as well. So a lot of work like that, um, I think, greatly influences my practice, but also it's a learning tool and, a, and 
like keeps me interrogating my practice and just constantly asking for more out of the work that I make. What do you feel is the purpose of art? You know, so for me, my art has just changed me so deeply. I feel like I, I went from being this really insecure and kind of timid and, and quiet and feeling so small in the world. But through my work and, you know, really putting myself in through my work in so many kind of vulnerable situations. So especially with making performance work and making myself the subject of the work that's so extremely vulnerable. And so the making of my work has empowered me and made me a stronger human being. And I hope that my work can do that for other people, right? Can do what it's done for me to people that um, encounter it. And also, I hope that my work has a certain amount of openness where it can be conversational, right? So it's not fixed, it's not closed, but it changes and transforms depending on its context, depending on who encounters it, and that it can constantly just be a space to question, question the work itself, question um, your experiences and question the world that exists around the work. So that, that, that is what I hope and that's what I want from my work, but also from any artwork or literature or music that I consume for it to be so completely open that it can shift and mold itself to the spaces and, and lines of questioning that it finds itself in. Do you feel your audience understands your work? Yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> as you far know, as you're concerned, of, yes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because you know, I feel like the one way as an artist or, you know, lately over the past year or so that I kind of come in direct contact with an audience is through like studio visits. And so, you know, two things may happen. People just really say some very wild and I think reductive things. And so it's very clear that those people do not understand me, do not understand the work at all. And that's completely fine because not everyone's going to get it. But the people who do understand the complexities of the work and the conversations that I'm trying to have, like they really understand it on a deep level. And so the people who I think understand the work are the ones that are open to questioning themselves and open to seeing themselves implicated or kind of pointed to in the work and who are open to change and, and, and shifting their perspectives and their understandings. And so, yeah, I've had, you know, so many very transformative conversations with people who do understand the complexities in the work. And I think, you know, that is as much as I can ask for with understanding that you know, the work will exist in the world without me being next to it to explain everything. Um, and just hoping that people who encounter it come with it to an openness and allow themselves to really understand what's happening. Must be very rewarding when they when they do understand. Yes. I have really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> I 
very much appreciate your time. This is our last question. And that is, what do you feel is your role as an artist? I knew this question was coming and yet I didn't have an answer prepared. <laughs> That's perfect. I like that. Because I, oh, I mean, it's so many things. And so, you know, if I am purely idealistic, I think in, you know, a utopic sense, my role as an artist is to transform the world. And that's a really tall order. But I think that art has absolutely transformed the world and expanded conversations about the way in which we exist and understand ourselves and understand other people and understand our experiences. And so I feel that, you know, my role as an artist is to make a, a small, which I feel, yes, ultimately is would be small and insignificant, but powerful for me is to be um, this kind of agent of change or, or transformation is what I, I hope <laughs> my, my role can be. Well, thank you for having that in mind. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Alana. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.